Welcome to church. Today, Pastor OJ is concluding our series, Thriving in Edmonton, where he'll be talking about how the Holy Spirit came to empower us to thrive. And if you're new here, we'd love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. I'm so glad you could join us today. God wants to change the world through all of us with the talents and abilities that you have. And this means being bold and courageous. So it's time to work hard. It's time to go back to our mission of making disciples who make disciples. And it's time to see God's glory and God's peace poured out on our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and on our city like never before. It's time to thrive in Edmonton. Good morning. We welcome you uh, from wherever you're joining us this morning, whether it's in your home, whether you're out on the deck, whether you're on a, a campground in your trailer, maybe tuning in this morning. We welcome you to our online campus, and we're excited about what God is doing. God is at work in our lives. He's at work in our cities, at work in our church, and we praise his name for that. Today, we continue in the series, where it's actually going to be the last sermon in this particular series. Really excited about the, the next series we're doing, but we're finishing this one, Thriving in Edmonton. And today, as we finish the series, we'll be focusing on the subject of power to thrive. Now, I believe that many of us would like to thrive. But we don't have the strength to thrive if we're honest about it. So the question we'll be looking at today is where do we get the power to thrive from? And how do we live out our lives while walking in that power? To begin with, uh, I'm going to lay a foundation with some historical context for us to build upon before I answer those questions. And we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. And this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Praise the Lord for that. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I am, not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, of course, John was referring to Jesus, and Jesus came, and Jesus modeled for us a radical, countercultural life, showing us what it looks like to tr truly thrive. Now, before Jesus went to the cross, 
He told his disciples that it would actually be good for them that he leave. And he told them he was going to be leaving. And he gave them these words of encouragement that we find in John chapter 15, verse 26. He says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. And he will come to you from the Father and he will testify all about me. Now, the word advocate, in the, that's translated advocate in the English there, in the Greek reads paraclete, or Holy Spirit, means Holy Spirit. It could mean comforter, encourager, counselor. And I would say to you, I regularly experience Holy Spirit in all of those ways, plus many more. He, I just so much appreciate him and my walk with him. I could not be doing this if it were not for Holy Spirit in my life. And if you'll notice, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the advocate, and he, he'll come to you from the Father, and he will testify about me. And, and I find that the Holy Spirit does that. He testifies about Jesus. He points to Jesus. He points us to Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, this is after the crucifixion, this is after his suffering, he, referring to Jesus, presented himself to them, the disciples, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And then in verse 4, we read, on one occasion when he was eating with them, and this is after the resurrection, he gave them this command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And then Acts 1.8 I learned this verse in what we used to call daily vacation Bible school, or they call it summer camps now. One of my favorite verses of scripture. And then Jesus also gives them this, this instruction. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Credible uh, promise. And the word power that's there, that's, tra that's translated into power in the English, comes from the Greek word dudamus. We get, get our English word dynamite from the word dudamus. So you might translate that you will become a dynamo when the Holy Spirit empowers you. You're going to have strength. You're going to have power to be my witnesses. Praise his name. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, and they were all gathered in one place. So what is Pentecost? Well, the word Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecostus, which means 50. And it has been mentioned that uh, Pentecost is held 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost was also called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest, and is also known as the Shavuot in Hebrew. It was originally a harvest festival, but over time it turned into a day to commemorate the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now Jews of many nations would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate 
this important festival. So Pentecost began and remains as one of the most major holidays on the Jewish calendar. Now for Christians, most Christians would not imagine having a year go by without celebrating the holidays of Christmas and Easter. You know, Christmas is the event that celebrates the birth of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry of redemption here on earth. And then Easter, an amazing celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and God's ultimate victory over sin and over death and over the enemy. However, there's a third holiday that's actually on your calendar. If you check your calendar, a third holiday, a third observance that should be very significant for Christians. And that is today, Pentecost Sunday, as Nathan mentioned. Check your calendar. It's actually Pentecost Sunday today. And you know, this day can come and go without us paying much attention. But I want to say for us as Christ followers, it's a significant day. Because we remember that Pentecost marks the day the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus' followers in Jerusalem. And actually, it's also the birthday of the church. Happy birthday, by the way. The church was born on Pentecost after Peter, with new power, preached the gospel message. So let's take a look how Pentecost unfolded. They were all gathered in Jerusalem. They're in the upper room, and we pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And as, you, as I mentioned earlier, they had come there to celebrate this festival. And when they, picking it up in verse 6, and when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language spoken. Utterly amazed. They asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Aren't they Galileans? Then how is it? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then moving to verse 12 and 13, amazed, just amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, like, what does this mean? What is this? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And then Peter addresses the crowd, and they alluded to this so well during the offering time. In Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, uh, Peter says, hey, this is what is happening. What is happening right here, right now, is what the prophet Joel had prophesied would happen. And here's what Peter said in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. 
And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Amazing promise, powerful promise. And as Nathan mentioned in scripture, so clearly and he laid out a couple verses that describe that for us the last days is the period between jesus first coming and his second coming the next event on the church calendar is the coming of jesus christ so we're living in that time period prior to his coming and Joel says that one feature of the last days will be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people, people of every ethnic group, men and women, young and old, praise his name, followers of Jesus, of all kinds of people, of all ages, so gripped by the greatness of God, the Spirit of God. The greatness of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus that they will speak it out with extraordinary boldness and clarity. Peter, take a look at Peter. Several weeks earlier, he was cowering back in fear and hiding and denied Jesus three times. Now Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit and boldness, stands in front of that same group of people, and he describes how their actions put Jesus Christ on the cross, how they had crucified the Messiah that had come for them, and then he describes how the, because of their sin, Jesus died, shed his blood for them, and then he describes how Jesus rose again on the third day, Peter spoke with amazing clarity, boldness, and power, calling them to repent and then to be baptized. And what happened? Acts 2 and 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Praise the name of the Lord. Boy, that's a good way to start a church. 3,000 new converts. And that's the birth of the church. And as I said earlier, happy birthday, church. And you know what? That church that began in the book of Acts is the same church that we are part of today. That church that began back then includes you and I today. Isn't that exciting? Praise his name. And then we're moving to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And this is also one of my favorite sections of scripture. This is the DNA of what a thriving, spirit-filled church should look like. And you know what? This DNA is translatable to any cultural group anywhere. It's translatable to any time in history. And I want to take a few minutes looking at it, dissecting it, and just seeing what, what a thriving uh, church community should look like. It says in verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So we see that there was two types of gatherings, two types of coming together. Gathering in the temple courts, that would be the bigger corporate gathering, and a small group gathering in their homes. Now you might say they were not a church with small groups. They were rather a church of small groups. 
And then we carry on in verse 42. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they would listen to the apostles teach in the temple courts. But then they also met in their homes and they received teaching in their homes. And you know, you will understand and grasp biblical principles better in a small group. I want to say to you that we believe discipleship happens best in the context of a small group. See, preaching and teaching is one-way communication. You listen while the speaker speaks. You might take notes. And it's fine for imparting knowledge and also for teaching scripture. But I would say to you, it is not as effective as in personal application as in a small group. See, in a small group uh, setting, you can ask questions. You can participate in the discussions about the scripture. You can hear some others' insights. And other people can speak into your life as they talk about illustrations of truth that you're trying to grasp. And by the way, the Bible must be applied in your personal life. And that happens best in relationship and in the context of small groups. And that is why we are transitioning Calvary Community Church to be a church of small groups. So then carrying on in the verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, the Greek word koinonia, that is translated fellowship here, occurs 20 times in the New Testament. No single English word is adequate to express its depth and richness. Koinonia, the meaning of koinonia is fellowship, sharing in common, communion, joint participation, being in agreement with one another, being united in purpose, and serving alongside of each other. You see, our koinonia with each other is based on our common koinonia with Jesus Christ. A powerful example of what koinonia should look like can be found in the study of the phrase one another. If you take the phrase one another, you'll find that it's in the New Testament 94 times. Here's some examples. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another one another on in love, toward love and good deeds. Offer hospitality and love one another. Now these are some examples of what true biblical koinonia should look like. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Now the way their small group gatherings worked they would come together for an agape feast or love feast that would involve eating a full meal, visiting together over food. And then at some point in the gathering, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper by taking the bread, remembering his broken body, and then taking and, and drinking of the wine, remembering his shed blood and his new covenant. And they would celebrate this. And this was all done together in the context of a meal, in koinonia, in community, in fellowship. And you know, some of our life groups do uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
And I want to encourage you as a small group to do that. Right now, our, our small groups primarily are meeting over Zoom due to the restrictions. But I want to say you can still share communion together while meeting virtually. You can still do it even when you're meeting virtually. So I encourage you to do that. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 48 times in the book of Acts, it says they prayed. Now the truth is, that you cannot grow spiritually or have spiritual power from God without prayer. We can't. We need to be praying. And you know, we'll have power like the church of Acts when we pray, like the early church did. So uh, thankful for the vision that Tammy, our prayer coordinator, continues to bring to our church community. And it's really exciting, and you saw it at the beginning of the service that we're, she's going to be leading 100 days of prayer straight, beginning tomorrow night, 100 days of prayer that's going to be uh, going out on the Facebook and counter Facebook page, and you can join that on, at 8.30 and just join, and let's pray for 100 days right through the summer. Because we believe that this province and this city and our world needs a move of God right now. We're desperately in need of a move of God. So I want to encourage you, let's continue to join together and pray. So God has chosen. I'm not sure why, I don't know why, but God has chosen to work on earth in response to prayer. He's chosen to work in response to our prayers. And we've seen some amazing answers to prayer. Praise his name in our small groups, in our church community. We've just seen some amazing things happen through prayer. But there's so much more that we could be receiving and stepping into and seeing released in our city if we push in in prayer. And then moving on in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You know, if you look through Scripture, the Bible never records a direct personal encounter with God in which the individual was not visibly shaken or moved by God's awesomeness. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses hid his face and trembled before God. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in his glory and in his majesty, he said, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. The holiness of God. And when the risen Christ appeared to Paul when he was on that Damascus road. When the risen Christ appeared to him, he was down on the ground. The power of God is awesome. Are we in awe of God? Are you in awe of who he is today? The word awe refers to a reverential fear, respect, in response to the manifest presence of God. It describes that feeling, the attitude of reverence when you realize that God is at work. When you say, you know, that was God. That was God. 
And I want to say to you, God is powerfully at work on the earth today. If we're filled with God's Spirit, if we're walking in His Spirit, we will see God's awesome power at work in the everyday events of life. He is very concerned about your everyday events. And we will be filled with awe and wonder at his glory when we see him at work. You know, it was a church culture. There was an awe of God as they, because they clearly saw him at work among them. You know, I can honestly say to you, even as Nathan was describing these 16 people that have come to Christ and the many other things that have happened in these last almost 15 months now in this craziness this uh, of COVID, I can say to you, I am in awe of the way God has continued to be at work. Praise his name. Every time somebody crosses from darkness into light, it is a miracle that affects not only time, but it also affects eternity. And all the believers, we read in verse 44, were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let's just think about the situation here for a moment. Thousands of Jews had come together in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. And many had been saved after Peter preached. And so they wanted to stay longer. They wanted to get grounded in their new faith. And they needed hospitality. They needed a financial help to do this. And to meet those needs, the early church opened their homes and their wallets to help the needy. Some people even sold land, property, donated the proceeds of the sale to the work of the kingdom that was happening. They were a generous and a loving community. You know, a church community should be generous. And that's why as a corporate church body, we try to set the example for that. We give away 17% of our general fund, 10% in missions budget tied, 5% in partners fund, 2% in benevolent fund, and we operate on 83 cents on the dollars, on 83% for our operations. And we've just done our budget, and it's always a time where we're trying to make everything fit together. But generosity is our top priority. You know you can't outgive God. You can't give God. I encourage you, be generous. And, I, and, and I'm encouraging us as a church community, let's continue to be generous. And in addition, we give away all the designated funds. And then I keep hearing stories of you people, of the people of our church, how they're generous in helping other people. All kinds of things that are being done through the people of this church community that don't go through the official corporate church records. Generosity. You know, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, generosity and love will flow from our lives. And then in verse 47... We see they are praising God. And we need to be a people of praise. Praising Him. And when they were doing that, as they were doing all of this, they are enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, being a community that is connected to the all-powerful 
living God that is walking in awe of God, a community that is filled with joy. The early church was a place of joy and celebration, a generous, loving community like this. You know what? They're going to have favor with those outside the church. If we're concerned about having favor without those outside the church to be able to try to impact them, let the Holy Spirit impact our lives and let's live like the church of Acts and we'll have favor with those outside the church. And you know what? This type of a healthy community will attract others. And the Lord added daily. Isn't that incredible? We're believing weekly for one a week because we're still growing. Our faith is still growing. But it can come to the point where we could be celebrating a salvation or more than one daily. And the Lord was adding daily to their number those who are being saved. So this is what a thriving church community looks like. And who's the church? It's all of us as individuals that make up the church. It's you and I. So that's what our lives should look like. If our lives look like this, then the church community will look like this. But can we accomplish that? Is it possible for us to do this only on our own willpower and our strength? And I would say no. I would say no. Because we can't live this way, relying only on our own strength. And that's why Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers... In Ephesians 5, verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's not the lifestyle issue of drunkenness that Paul is addressing here, although drunkenness is certainly prohibited in Scripture. But what Paul is addressing here, and if you notice the context, if you're reading the whole section of Scripture there, in, in the context of family relationships, in the context of work, in the context of everyday life, Paul is addressing the incredible need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul draws a direct parallel between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. So what I believe Paul is highlighting here is the issue of influence or control. A person under the influence of wine, uh, drunk, they would experience altered behavior. He or she may do, say or do things they would not normally do. Emotions would be heightened for a brief period. Mental processes will be affected and decision-making ability will be radically affected and almost always with a negative result. That's how a drunk person's affected. The filling of the Holy Spirit also produces a change in behavior. However, it is always, always produces a change for the positive. So that's what Paul is talking about here in the parallel that he draws. In the Greek language, the verb here is in the imperative mode. That means the filling of the Spirit is not an optional part of life. It's not an option that we can pick and choose and decide. See, in the, it is in the imperative mode. It is a command. It is an instruction. And in the Greek, the present tense also has the idea of a continual action. 
We could legitimately translate this verse, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So why do we have to be filled? Why do we have to continue to be filled? Well, because we're weak human vessels and because we pour out and also because we leak. We pour out by ministry and by service and God that pours back in, but we also leak and we leak by disobedience, by willful pride, willful sin, by putting ourselves back in charge of our life, putting ourselves back on the throne of our life or behind the steering wheel saying, it is my life, I'm doing it my way. We leak by a lack of faith. We leak by not obeying the word or believing the word. So we need to continually be filled with the spirit. Now the enemy, Satan knows that a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christ follower is dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. So his strategy, and he does have a strategy, he has schemes and plans, and his strategy is to keep us from walking in the power of the Spirit. However he can do that, whatever way he can do that, he wants to keep us from walking in the full power of the Holy Spirit that God has available for us. He wants us to keep relying on our own strength and eventually giving up or burning out because it's too hard. But Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to us so that we can have the power to thrive. The Holy Spirit is ready today, this morning. He is ready and willing to fill us with fresh oil, with a fresh infilling of his power. Now, this is not something we can do for ourselves. We can't. We must make ourselves available to fill. Now, the tragedy, the tragedy of our time is that so many Christians have closed their heart. They have closed their mind to the work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want to encourage you to open up your heart. Open up your heart to the work of the Spirit. Just take a moment and imagine trying to fill a jar that is closed. You can't pour the stuff into a jar that is closed. Or imagine trying to fill a jar where the lid is so tight you can't get it open. You can't fill that jar either. This morning, this morning, I encourage you, or today, whenever you watch this, because Holy Spirit transcends time and space. So whenever you're watching this, I'm encouraging you to take the lid off. How do you take the lid off? You have to want the Holy Spirit to fill you. There must be a sense of need. A sense of need. There must be the sense, Lord, I'm open. I need to be filled by your Spirit. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be filled. Now, poor in spirit, the Greek word that is translated there is the word patokos. Now, that is not just meaning a little bit poor. That is not just mean lacking a little bit. Patokos means utterly destitute. That we have to come to the point of saying, I am utterly destitute without the power of God. 
I am open, and I need your infilling Holy Spirit. And then after we open up, we need to empty out. Can you imagine trying to fill a jar that is full? It's already full of stuff, all kinds of stuff. You can't fill what's already full. And the sad reality is that some of us are so full of ourselves that there's no room for the Holy Spirit. So full of sin, so full of pride, so full of self-dependence, so full of our own way of doing things that we have no room for the Holy Spirit. Well, the good news is you have the choice. We can empty out. We can open up and we can empty out. I love this quote by D.L. Moody, famed evangelist of the previous century. Here's what D.L. said. He said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, then there's no room. There's no room for the Holy Spirit. We must be emptied before we can be filled. End of quote from D.L. Moody. The wonderful thing is that Jesus is here. Jesus is walking in your home right now. Jesus is in that trailer, in that campground, on that deck. And he's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking on your heart. But he's a gentleman. He doesn't kick the door in. He just knocks. He just asks. And if we say yes, if we open up our heart to him, he will come in. And you might be listening to this this morning, and you might be like the 3,000 people or that crowd that Peter was preaching to when the church first began on the day of Pentecost. You might be like them that you didn't quite understand who Jesus was and, and what he had come to do. But today you've come to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he shed his blood for your sins, and that he rose again on the third day, and that he just did this for you because he loves you and is extending to you the invitation to have a personal relationship with him. He knocks on the door of your heart today. So my question is to you is, will you open the door and invite Jesus in? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. and Just say it out loud. Praying is just talking to God. It's nothing, nothing different. You don't have to change the tone of your voice. You don't have to do anything else. Just talk to God. So Lord Jesus, today we open up our hearts to you. Today I open my heart. And today, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And today, Jesus, I give up control of my life to you, and I invite you in. I invite you in to be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, we just celebrate with you. And coming up on the screen is a phone number. Take out your cell phone. 
And if you could just text uh, LIFE to that number, 587-323-1199. And we'll, that'll give us an opportunity to get some very good online resources to you. We have a, a, a short booklet that is called Next. It'll help you with next steps as you begin to follow Jesus, as you begin this exciting, exciting life of walking with him. Now, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, instructed them that they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you wondered why Paul would be writing to people that were already Christ followers, the Ephesian church? Why he'd be writing to them that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why would he be instructing them to be filled with the Holy Spirit when they had already received the Spirit of God at the time of their salvation? Well, I believe that Paul is highlighting the difference between the indwelling and the infilling. See, when Jesus Christ comes in, when you invite him in, he comes into our life. But, the, but the, one of the meanings of being filled the Greek word that is translated be filled actually carries with it the idea of permutation. So when we're filled with the Spirit, it's the point where we've surrendered completely and He permeates completely and fills our lives entirely. Holy Spirit wants to permeate. He wants to flavor. He wants to control every area of our lives. And it's a good thing. I can say to you, after years of walking with Holy Spirit and just the relationship with Him as He points to Jesus and to the Father, it's been so good. My question is, is He filling your life today? Is He controlling you and giving you the spiritual strength in your life that God wants you to have? Because God is offering to you today the power to thrive to thrive. So my question is, as we come to the conclusion of this series, are you thriving or are you just surviving? Now I didn't ask, is your life perfect? Is it all neatly arranged? Is everything comfortable? Is everything going the way you would like it? As a matter of fact, it probably isn't because in this broken and fallen world, we will have many difficult things. My wife, Barb, uh, has just recently received a cancer diagnosis, which at this point will require surgery, a lumpectomy, radiation, ongoing hormonal treatment. I remember uh, several weeks ago when we went to the doctor's office and he came in and he delivered the news very directly, uh, compassionately, but very directly. And he said, you have you have cancer, the, the biopsy came back that way. And we stepped out of the office to the front sidewalk and we prayed. We said, Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. And I said to Barb, he's going to take us through this. And you know, Jesus is all powerful. He can supernaturally heal. We've seen that in our church. We've experienced that in our lives. But he can, and he can also take us through the trial, through the medical process. So our prayer is that whatever way we walk in this, our prayer is that Jesus 
will be glorified, that Jesus will be lifted up, and that we will thrive, that we will thrive in this journey. But that can only happen, that can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit as we fill Him, as He fills us, as we surrender to Him. So my question to you today, are you surviving or are you thriving in your life journey? Let me say this, no matter how good your life is right now, or no matter how difficult your life might be, the reality is this, you will not be able to thrive, truly thrive, unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So today, open up your heart. Empty out all the stuff. Repent. Let it go. Open up. And then surrender. Total surrender to the Holy Spirit. I was so encouraged yesterday. As I was in my office, a young man stopped by. Had a conversation with him. We're talking about his future. And I said, what are you going to be doing? And he said to me, and I think this is profound. And I agree 100%. He says, my life is no matter, no longer my own. Whatever I'll be doing in the future is what Jesus leads me to do. That's what surrender looks like. So I encourage you at this moment to say, God, I'm in total surrender. Total surrender. I'm no longer running the show. I want you to run it. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And if we were all together here in this auditorium, we'd be having an altar call with people filling the front of the church. But I was encouraged as I was thinking about this, that Holy Spirit transcends time and space. So I'm going to ask you to stand wherever you are right now, whether you're in your kitchen, your family room, whether you're out on a campground, wherever you're watching this from, I'm going to ask you to stand. And, we, and if you're open, and want to signify the Holy Spirit, you're open. He reads your heart. But an outward gesture, I just encourage you to open up your hands. And I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you with, with a fresh touch today. So, Lord God, today, as we stand before you with open hearts, our hands open, signifying that we open up our hearts and we surrender. We surrender to you. And God, we pray that you will pull out the junk even as we assist, as we pull it out. We'll empty out. And then, Lord Jesus, you promised that you would send the Holy Spirit to empower. And right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will touch that lady in the kitchen. I pray that you will touch that man that's standing on the deck right now. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill him. Holy Spirit, fill your church, fill your followers with power, with dudamous power, so we can fulfill the mission that you have for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're giving us the strength. You're empowering your church to accomplish your mission in these last days. And we pray this, not for ourselves. We pray this for your honor and glory. May your kingdom come in power. May your kingdom come in power as we surrender to you today. We pray for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.